0: But yeah, Josh Naylor, there's something wrong with that dude in the think meet. He is (laughs) is like uh, Captain Insano.
1: Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always a man who was once forcibly removed from the Scott Bayo lookalike contest for being that
0: guy, my brother Mike. Uh I'm talking Joni loves Chachi. Or not not Joni Loves Chachi. No, none of that stuff. This isn't happy days, Scott Bayo. This is Charles in charge, Scott Bayo. Okay. I'm more of a <laughs> I thought you I thought you were gonna go storm in capitals, Scott Bayo,
1: but okay, whatever.
0: why I gotta be Scott Bayo, okay? <laughs> I don't know.
1: I had to think be somebody. I'll cool. like,
0: Mark Paul Gosler. I'll be Mark Paul Gosler all day. Okay, I'll be a Mark Paul Gosler. Look like who doesn't want to look like Zach Morris? I mean, That's I pretty. Don't impressive. Look anything like way. him, but other than that,
1: yeah. <laughs> we're going to start this week with a big announcement. Are you ready for this, Mike? I'm ready. Royals Weekly is pivoting to video. That's right. You will now be able to consume even more Royals Weekly content on our newly created YouTube channel and Instagram account. You can watch video versions of this podcast, and we're going to try producing at least one additional video a week. Maybe more than that once things get going. We'll see how things work out. This week's video is about the expectations set for Vinny Pasquantino or what we can expect from him as a hitter and player. So please, please, please go to YouTube, go to Instagram, subscribe and follow. We're called Our, our channel is called Royals Weekly. Okay. Trying to keep it that's, simple.
0: That's, that's, trying to trying keep, to it,
1: keep simple. it simple. Our, our Instagram also Royals Weekly. So, you know, we were able to get in the ground floor of those names. So go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube, Royals Weekly. Subscribe to our, or follow us on Instagram, Royals Weekly. You'll get a whole bunch more content from us, a whole bunch of analysis, highlights, and that sort of stuff. Uh, stuff that we can provide and, and help you get an even better experience. We're doing this expansion because of all the wonderful support that we've gotten from listeners. The more and more you tell us that you like stuff, the more you subscribe, the more you like and and follow, the more we want to create content for you. So make sure you're liking all of our channels, all of our streams, and we'll do as much as we can to produce as much content for you to consume.
0: Yeah. I'm excited to start the video editing. I'm also thinking the world just needs to see more of this, you know? Yeah. uh If you can't Uh tell I have COVID right now. So <laughs> uh, I sound great, you know. Sound great, look great, feel great, you know. This is play this great, is all baby. Really well. Play great, you know. Uh So uh, the world. I'll, needs remember, to I'll see never more forget of the me and how wonderful I look after my first shower in three days. So I'll I'll never
1: forget the first person who ever told me you look great, you play great. He spent like an hour before football games just taping up various parts of his uniform and body to be really symmetrical and pretty and it was very like uh, and he was like a very good football player so no, you, know, exactly maybe, you're maybe talking you had about. the right answer I know, exactly yeah, I know you do I know I know you do I know you do let's get to the baseball. We'll start as we always do with roster news for this week. The big roster news, the thing we're we're going to sort of focus a, a little bit of time on, Carlos Santana was traded to the Seattle Mariners for relief pitcher Wyatt Mills and prospect pit, pitching prospect William Fleming. Mike, were you surprised that the Royals were able to get anything for Carlos Santana? A lot of people were pretty shocked about it. They got something out of him and this early
0: before the trade deadline. Yeah, I was shocked. And, and partly the reason they got stuff was because they were willing to give up some money to pay off some of his contract they gave. And the Royals in the past have not traditionally been that willing to send money in trades with players. So they got, I, th- I was hoping for one useful piece or one lottery ticket. We actually got both. And so we got a guy in Wyatt Mills who looks like he can be a part of a, bull, a major league bullpen. That's, that's a solid piece. Plus we're burning through bullpen arms so quickly right now. We needed something. Oh, yeah. And then uh, Fleming, the guy is in the low minors. He's, a lottery ticket for, to become a starting pitcher. I think he you, you do what you do when you get lottery tickets. You look for one really good pitch. He has a pretty good slider right now. That's about it. Um, but <clears throat> hopefully with the Royals' great pitching development, they can develop him into a starting uh, pitcher for the future. Or heck, who knows, maybe he converts to a bullpen arm and you end up with two bullpen arms out of him. That's great. That's great return. A great slider. Sounds like the next Jake Junas. He'll be
1: great for the Uh-oh. Giants in a few years. Yeah, yeah the Giants. Yeah, are just, just, <laughs> they'll turn him into something magnificent in a few years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, interesting. that They got something in return. A lot of people were talking about, was this worth it or not? We're going to talk a little bit more about that trade later on during our spotlight segment when we're talking about trades and the deadline and all that sort of stuff. But yes, the Royals did trade Carlos Santana. He was hot enough that they were able to get something for him and they got a couple returns. I think people are forgetting that they they're paying like 80% of his the remaining salary. So really they, in my mind, they gave four and a half million dollars to Seattle for Wyatt Mills and William Fleming. That's that's how I'm viewing this trade. But, you know, don't forget that when you're thinking about, well, was this a success or a win for the Royals that they're forking over some significant money in order to be able to get those prospects in return. Without that money, this deal doesn't happen. That deal though, I think the most important ramification from that deal is it makes room for Vinny Pasquantino. The day that they announced the trade for Carlos Santana, they called up Vinny Pasquantino. Uh, they had to DFA Ronald Bolaños in order to make room on the 40-man roster for him because in the, Wyatt Mills was on the 40-man when he came back in trade. So they needed to open up a 40-man spot. They DFA'd Bolaños to do it. I think Bolaños will eventually end up in AAA Omaha. I don't think anybody's going to claim him. That's just a guess. I have no idea. But yes, Vinny Pasquantino was called up. Mike and I were there for his debut. Mike, what do you think about the call-up of Vinny Pasquantino?
0: I think I think we all know it's long overdue, um, but we're seeing already He's he he's only got two hits. But I think he's walked like five or six times already. The guy is getting five on base times. like crazy. And that is exactly what we expected. He looks pretty comfortable in the batter's box already, which is great to see. I, I was a little disappointed that Bolaños got DFA'd. I understand they had to make room on the 40 man. Um, but I like him. I like his poss- him as a possible multi-inning guy later on if he ever figures out the command thing. So hopefully he does ba- end up back in Omaha, or at least that's what I'm hoping. Um, we saw him make We saw him have some really good outings last year. And so that's my, my hope is that he catches back on and, and can contribute in the future.
1: Yeah. Pasquantino. It was great to be out there at his debut. The place was electric. There were a lot of people there. The it was weather Hawaiian was perfect. Night. Oh, they ended up losing that game, but it was still a great experience. You and I got really nice tickets. We still so stayed, for the of, stayed for the whole thing. Stayed for the whole thing. Oh my what God. The heck? It was a great night to be out at the ballpark. And so, yeah, yeah watching Pasquantino at the plate has been a real treat. And for those of you who haven't seen him in the minors, Mike and I have seen quite a few of his at-bats in minor league baseball, but to watch him hit is like a thing of beauty. To watch him control the strike zone the way that he does is a thing of beauty. And like you said, he's walked five five times, been hit by a pitch, and he has two hits already. That means he's been on base, I think, eight times in 19 plate 19 appearances. Plate yeah, appearance, incredible, yeah. incredible stretch to start. I know it doesn't look great if you look at his batting average, but that's who he is. He'll, the hits will come, but he's, a, he's an on-base machine, and that's what he really needs to be. First hit was a home run. That was really cool to see. He smacked one out uh, during the— second game, I want to say the second game of this, um, Detroit series, which was awesome. It was like a real wall scraping, barely made it out line drive got that thrown out at second. <laughs> he got thrown out at second on a home run. It was a very odd thing, yeah. but man, did he spank that baseball? I think it was 112 going out. And so he's that, I'm really excited to see, and you can see up and down the lineup. It just, it's changing the way that the lineup plays to have a guy in the middle. Who's going to take those, that high quality of at bats. So wonderful to see from him. Great to have him up finally next Nate Prado. Here he comes hopefully before too long. Uh, Nick Prado. what I say? Nate. Sorry, I'm getting, he's I, too
0: cool to be a Nate. Uh, well, Hey, Nate, way too Nate, cool even Nate is
1: another guy who's pounding at AAA right now. And we'll see if he ends That's up <laughs> getting a, a debut before too long too. I think I just conflated their names for some reason. Uh, also back with the team this week, Joel Piumps made his return, uh, did not fare great in the second Detroit game where he gave up two home runs in the ninth to lose it for the Royals, but it was good to see him back. Daniel Megden was sent down as a result. I thought Megden pitched pretty well for them. He did pitch really well for them in his limited exposure. So I'm sure he'll get another chance at some point. And then Matt Peacock, one of the Peacocks, the brothers Peacock. I don't think they're actually brothers, uh, was they're not related. In any they're any. not, it's but okay. they're okay. Uh, I'm calling them the brothers Peacock anyway. Uh, he was DFA this week. Again, I think he'll end up back in Omaha unless some team decides to take a chance on him. But I think uh, most likely he's back in with the uh, storm chasers. All of this, all this sort of exciting roster news led to a three and three week for the Royals. Another 500 week, the third 500 week in a row that brings their overall record to 29 and 48. That is 19 games under 500. Is this kind of what we thought they would be before the season? Everybody kind of had a, a record prediction. Somewhat close to 500 for the Royals. Ours was, or mine was 79 and 83. Are they playing? Is is Are they now to the point that we kind of expected them to be when the season started?
0: I, I think record-wise, they well, no overall record, no. Uh, but we kind of expected them to play around 500 baseball. I just don't know this is how we expected them to do it. I don't know that we thought that the bullpen would be this bad. I don't no. know that we thought. The starting rotation would be this would struggle this much. I don't know that we thought that they would take as many walks as they've taken this year, especially lately. They've looked really good uh, with, with taking walks. So I don't know if we got there the way that we thought we would, but we're at a place where we're playing 500 baseball. We're, for the most part, beating the teams that we should um, in like the A's and the Tigers and some of the bad teams, and we don't beat the good teams. That's
1: kind of how it goes. Yeah, this I've, it's sometimes in the past the Royals have looked like oh they're gonna take two of three from a good team and then get swept by a bad team. They're not doing that this year. This year they're getting beat by the teams that should beat them, and they're losing to the team or they're winning against the teams who they should beat. Uh, now maybe they should take more from the teams they should beat. I really thought they should have swept this Detroit series to end the to end this uh, week. They they had the lead going into the ninth and then they gave up two home runs and that was that. Um, and, but. It is interesting. I still It still feels like there are a lot of missed opportunities for this team. The talent is there offensively. You can see the talent coming through. You can see the offense turning a corner with the addition of Pasquantino, with the growth of Bobby Witt Jr., although he's been struggling the lately. The fact that they're platooning
0: it, a little bit more.
1: They're platooning a little bit more. That's something that needs to be talked about because they platooned a ton today against the lefty and Terrence had a good Schubel. day. And Emmanuel Rivera had a good day. And, you know, uh, Olivares had a really good day. And, you know, it, it looks it looks smarter offensively up and down the lineup and they're taking more walks and having better approaches. And that's really paying dividends, but you still see the missed opportunities, especially with things like the bullpen giving up leads or Bubich goes out and he's kind of okay. makes it through five, but he still doesn't look great and base base running. Oh my Lord. We talked about it last week's episode. But but I've never seen a team get thrown out on the bases as much as the Royals did in this series slash throughout this season. It is incredible. It is an incredible thing to see a professional baseball team be thrown out on the bases as frequently as they are. I want to see stats on it. I don't know anybody who keeps, you know, thrown out on the bases stats, but I really want to see it because if there's a major league record for number of times thrown out on the bases, they have to be fighting for it this year, right?
0: Oh, today was bad. Isbo was out by a long stretch at home. Yeah, Lopez fouls one off his foot, and then tries to steal second base. He's out by two steps. <laughs> He's like, out by a mile. That wasn't even close. What are we doing, uh, guys? Yeah, this was, lots was of oh, uh, Whit Merrifield gets
1: picked off at first. Like, yeah, like, <laughs> oh, that was so He's hard the, to see. He,
0: he starts with that old Danny Duffy just step off throw, and yeah. gets him. Yeah, yeah, that was that was
1: rough. Uh, Nicky may have gotten hosed at second, but he did have a really good game today, despite the fact that he was facing a lefty. So uh, we threw him out there for strong performances this week. Mike, tell us how Nicky Lopez did this week, bouncing back and shoving it right in our face when we say he deserves to be a bench player.
0: Yeah. Uh, he was seven for 17, one double one walk, no strikeouts. It looked especially today, like they were doing what pitchers are doing against Nicky Lopez, trying to throw him high fastballs so that he just pops it up because he can't hit one out. He was able to get on top of those fastballs today, hit two of them, two of the pitches I know he got hits on today. He was four for four today. Two of them went to left field and they were high fastballs. And so if he can continue to do that, take some of those the other way and stay on top of them so that he's not popping them up, uh, he's got a chance to be a guy that can... that. We'll always make you ask the question, should he be a bench player? Yeah, uh,
1: there were some, I started a little dialogue about it on Twitter and somebody seemed to take the the notion that uh, he was pushing back against being a bench player as me saying, oh, he shouldn't be a bench player. uh, No, I I still think he should be a bench player. I still, but you know, a highly effective bench player who can hit a little bit, who can hit 270, walk enough, play good defense. That's a really valuable thing. And we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't scoff at it or anything. It's if you can make a career out of doing that you're doing great. And so, yeah, nice to see him have a really good day today going four for four. Hopefully he keeps hitting the ball. Well, he keeps finding ways to get on top of those fastballs or lay off of them and hit the ball the other way. Cause honestly he has been, he have been pulling up too much all season and it was nice to see him intentionally take the ball to left field, which is his opposite field. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about Hunter Dozier today. Another guy who, uh, I believe should be a bench player long term, but at least he went out and had a great week hitting this week. He was six for 19, had two doubles, a home run, a walk and five strikeouts. I think that another thing sparked a dialogue about like his role uh, on Twitter this week. And there are some out there who still apparently drink the Dozier Kool-Aid. I want to give credit to uh, Royals reporter Kev on Twitter who uh, who started this dialogue with me, and he differ, He disagrees with what the role should be, and he, he's a very good writer. You should check out his stuff, um, but I honestly think that Dozier's long-term place on a good team is as a bench player because he's not great defensively, but he is adequate offensively. He's not great offensively. His OPS is still under 800. He's not good enough. for an everyday DH role in my mind. He just doesn't hit well enough for that, especially when he's going to be competing with guys like Pascantino and Prado and Melendez and Salvador Perez for that DH role there. He just can't compete with those guys offensively. I don't think at least at their peaks at his compared to his peaks. And so great week from him this week. Hopefully he keeps hitting. He keeps doing well, but I I think long-term a really good bench player who can play, you know, dh first base for you and then maybe move around the outfield some maybe play some third base but you know it's not going to be great defensively that can still be effective as long as he can hit you get you get a chance to play somewhere
0: yeah i'll move on to the weak performances because we think we kind of know what hunter dozier is as far as it goes offensively and a little bit weak defensively bobby witt jr we're still trying to figure out and he struggled a lot this week going three for 24 he didn't have any extra base hits This is a guy who should be producing many extra base hits. Pretty much all of his hits should be, I mean, not all of them, but he should have a lot of extra base hits because of the power that he has. He didn't have any. And we always said, what's he doing strikeout-wise to walk-wise? That'll kind of tell you where he is. One walk to eight strikeouts. He—he's Especially the last two games have been really rough for him. I'm calling for a Bobby Witt Jr. day off. Yeah. (laughs) He needs needs to take a day off um, because he's pressing a little bit he's and this is kind of the the weird thing we said that as he takes a little bit as his eye gets better and he takes starts taking more walks they'll start throwing him more strikes. Well they've started throwing him more strikes but he's fouling off a lot mm-hmm. of the pitches that he needs to be putting into play. Willie Peralta gave him a hanging breaking ball that was right in the middle today and he swung at it but he fouled it off you know these are pitches he has to start doing damage on and so hopefully as he uh, gets a little more comfortable he will but he needs a day off and he needs to refocus and and kind of get back to where he is. And remember, this will be his first time in a a long season like this uh, in the major leagues, so he's going to need days off. We're not playing him every single day like Whit Merrifield. Get that out of your mind, Royals. He needs a day.
1: Yeah, he needs a day. Uh, People forget that the major league season is actually longer than even the AAA season. It's longer than the minor league season. He's 21 years old, 22. I think he's still 21, right? Um, And so, you know, he, he needs some time every once in a while to just take a breath, get his mind right and not wear out. He looks exhausted in the batter's box. Honestly, when I see him in the batter's box, I'm like, man, dude just looks tired. Like, and so give him a day off. I'd even be okay if they were like, let's give him two days off. Let's rest him before an off day. Or let's just say, Hey, for two days, you're just going to chill. Uh, take, take your time. You know, if you want to figure something out with your swing, do it, but it, yeah, a little bit of a rough series like
0: defensively off. as well. I, yeah. I had some they, They bleed
1: bleed over, you know, they bleed over into each other. Another guy who's suffering sort of on both is my weak performer of the week. Another young hitter that we're really excited about. MJ Melendez is another guy who got a day off today because he needed it. Right. He's not looked great defensively, which, you know, he hasn't since he came up, but it looks like he's pressing a lot. It looks like maybe that defense is bleeding into his offense a little bit. He was two for 19 this week with one double zero walks and six strikeouts. Zero walks is not a typical week for MJ Melendez. He is a patient hitter at the plate. He should be walking. And yet right now he just looks really frustrated, like he's really pressing. They're trying some stuff against him with inside fastballs and so forth that he's having trouble adjusting to. Um, he needs a day, hopefully today, will allowed him to get his mind right, to sort of refocus, get recharged, and come out in this Houston series and feel like he can really uh, do some damage. Because when he's when he's right, Having a guy like him and Pasquantino in the middle of the lineup will really pay dividends with the good approach that they have, with the good at bats that they take.
0: uh, I'm wondering, you know, his offensive struggles almost seem to coincide with when he started catching every day. Yeah. And that's kind of what scares me, because catching every day, it's a lot to prepare for if you're going to be catching that day. You know, you have to go into the pitchers' meetings, you've got to do all these different things, uh, game plan, then you're catching before the game starts in the bullpen like i i kind of wonder if uh there isn't something to the fact that he's now catching a lot and his offensive numbers have dipped a lot i know he's caught in the minors of town and done both in games and been fine but this is major league baseball it's a little bit different and that kind of worries me a little bit if he's going to have be the long term answer at catcher um i it would not surprise me if at some point the royals go you're our backup catcher you know and you're you're our our, our guy we go to twice a week and even with when it's Cam Gallagher in there, it wouldn't surprise me if they do that. I think especially, I think you're especially going to see Singer and Gallagher more and more and more as we continue to go. Uh, but yeah, I think he needs he maybe needs to take that role. Maybe his role is more of a I catch two days a week, I DH and play first the other times, or or outfield. Right. And the
1: interesting thing is, it was announced this week that MLB will transition. Or Rob Manfred, in a press conference, said that he thinks the automated strike zone will be put in place by 2024. Now, what's yay. interesting about Melendez is, yeah, the yay, finally, um, what's interesting about Melendez is he gets hurt in the defensive metrics in large part because he's a bad framer of the baseball. I wonder if you don't have him be the backup catcher for two years, let Sal continue to catch, have him work on catching in the offseason and things like that, and then in two years when the framing won't be so much of an issue, he can become your everyday catcher if need be, right? Yeah. If his receiving if his receiving's gotten better, if his blocking of balls has gotten better, and all that sort of stuff, maybe then he becomes your everyday catcher at some point. But for now, he's fine in right field. He can DH. He can play. He can catch every once in a while if he needs to. He could probably play third at some point. You know, as long as his bat's in the lineup, I'm not too worried about it. I'd almost rather him have an easier load defensively than a really hard, complicated load like catching is. Um, but either way, I'm get, starting to get real excited, right? I, I, this team to me is starting to become more interesting. The call up of Vinny Pascantino has really flipped a switch in me. And I'm like, oh, now I'm kind of even more interested. I feel myself being excited to watch the games every day because I know in the middle of their lineup, they're going to have exciting young hitters. It's Bobby Witt Jr. hitting third and Pascantino hitting fourth. A lot of the times we saw it was today, it was uh, Bobby Witt Jr., Edward Olivares, oh, yeah. and then Pascantino. And it's like. Yes, this is what I've been wanting to see. Get the exciting young hitters in there. Let them start figuring out Major League Baseball. And at, le- at the very least, fans will find it a more interesting brand of baseball to watch. And it has been over- since Vinny Pascantino got called up. I'm really excited to continue to watch the team and to continue to see the, tr- the moves that they're going to make to get all these young hitters up and get them in the lineup. Because that's what the future is going to look like. It's going to look like Pasquantino, Olivares, Nick Prado, Isbell, those guys.
0: Yeah, my theme for the week is all aboard the VP Express, man. Vinny Pasquantino <laughs> looked great this week. I'm all all on board for him. Um, they yes, serve Italian breakfast on that train. Yeah. All that's all they ever serve. What <laughs> kind of breakfast are you getting? Sausage, nothing but sausage. Okay, um, but yeah, he's he's. It was fun to watch him hit all week long. Uh, yes, he's slower than molasses on the bases. But he, he played what looked like an adequate first base today, which was good for me. I mean, he's not going to win a Gold Glove, but he looked good over there, and so yeah. And then I'm excited about some of those other guys to come in too. You know, we talk about Prado and Melendez and and uh, Bobby Witt Jr. But Michael Massey looks really good right now. Yeah. Um. Who's the Who's the kid they had playing center that's playing uh, Nick Lofton?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Nick Lofton looks really good right now. You know, so hitting wise on the hitter side, if Tyler was, Gentry look, looks like pretty, really good right now. Tyler Gentry looks really good. You talked about him a few weeks ago. And so a lot of these guys are making us more excited. Now, when you look down there and you try and look at the pitching, eh, I don't know, but, uh, but it looks like we ought to be able to score some runs for a little while. And that's, and that's what everybody wants. Offense, maybe Let's do it.
1: It's really, really, really important to us that you subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on whatever platform you use subscribing, rating and reviewing helps more people find the show and lets us know what we're doing that we're doing something right and you want us to produce more content. The more you subscribe and like, the more content we produce. Plus Mike gets all of his self-esteem from our subscriber numbers, so help him feel better about himself. He's got covid. Help the guy feel better about himself and smash that subscribe button on YouTube, whatever you sort of platform you use. YouTube uh, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, subscribe, 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 and rate us very highly. Give us the thumbs up. It's the thumbs up we crave. Smash that button. It's free. It takes about half a second. But it does us a world of good. So please, please uh, take the time to do that. And make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and our new Instagram. We post a ton of additional analysis on there every day. I'm on Twitter all the time. It's ruining all of my personal relationships. But I'm doing it for you guys. So, inter- And we interact with whoever's willing to talk to us on there. So you want to talk to us? Shoot us a question. Shoot us a statement. Tell us we're stupid. It doesn't matter. We'll still interact with you. So come connect with us on social media. Follow us. Subscribe and like. It'll be the best thing you've ever done. The Royals really kicked off trade season. I think trade season officially started when they traded uh, Carlos Santana to the Seattle Mariners and brought up Vinny Pascantino. Uh, So for the next month, trade news and draft news will really drive the Royals conversation as the team looks to set itself up for drastic improvement next year and the seasons to follow. We're going to focus on this week's spotlight segment on the trade market and potential trade opportunities for the Royals with an eye toward understanding how the team may look heading into next season. We may also touch a little bit on draft stuff in this conversation. That's just because the draft's coming up and it's on my mind and I'm working on the draft guide for uh, Kansas City Sports Network and all that stuff. Uh, But let's start with the trade talk and we'll start with the Santana trade just to break it down a little bit more. There was a lot of discussion about it and whether or not the Royals were justified in hanging on to Santana for so long. Mike, how do you feel about the trade now that we're on the other side of it? Was it justified? Was it not justified?
0: Give us your thoughts. I think it was really justified and this is odd because... I think the Royals actually pulled the trigger at about the right time. Um, if you wait any longer, who knows what Santana does? Who knows what Seattle's chances are? Like Maybe they go on a long losing streak and not really looking for players. But I think that they really did a good job in that Santana trade. And I think them showing the willingness to pay for some of his salary is something that you can use moving forward and say, okay, if it's going to mean the difference between getting a nothing or getting – something that might be a usable piece in return, yeah, go ahead and spend that money now because you're going to be spending it in the off season to find a usable piece anyway, to fill holes in the bullpen or whatever, or to get depth for a bench player, whatever you need. So I think it's encouraging to see that from them. So overall, I liked the trade. And uh, you know, the best to Carlos Santana and the future, his future as a Seattle manager and guitar player.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That'll be nice to see. Uh, when he's inducted in the rock and roll hall of fame, that'll be great. A good, 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 <laughs> oh, yeah. good moment for him. I think he's already in there, honestly. Yeah. Probably. Um, he should uh, be, if he's not, he should be, uh, I'm, I'm sort of, uh, of a mixed mind on this one. I think, yes, it's great that they got something for him. That is, you, there is, you know, objectively good that they got something for him. I still think we're underselling the opportunity cost of like hanging on to him and not bringing up Pasquantino. I think we're underselling the degree to which something was lost there, the degree to which fan the fan base was angered, some fans tuned out, Pasquantino lacked that development that was going to happen in, in that time. You know, I know it's like saying like, well, they got something for him. They did, but we're also underselling the fact that they had to pay money to get that, right? They, so let me ask you this. If they had paid, let's say 6.5 million, not of his contract. Let's just say they had given Seattle 6.5 million. Could they have gotten those two prospects just for the money like you know i don't think so we don't we don't know right but like we're underselling the degree to which we essentially just gave them 4.5 million dollars for wyatt mills and this guy and then they got santana as well but i think we're underselling the degree to which that money played a huge part in getting them i think it's great that they got something for him but ultimately i'm like i'm not going back on the notion that like i'm not saying like oh Everybody who wanted him, you know, DFA was wrong. It's great that he turned it around and then they're not going to just lose that money for nothing now. But at the same time, I'm like, eh, I, I feel like we're not giving enough credit to the opportunity cost of what was lost playing him for that month. You essentially bagged the 2022 season because of performances like Carlos Santana's to start the year, right? Because of guys like him and the terrible, you know, other guys were terrible you bagged the 2022 season. You couldn't do something like DFAM and bring up Pasquantino Pascontino Cause it looked like he was ready. And so to me, it's almost like a coin flip, but you know, I am glad that they ended up getting guys in Wyatt mills and this lottery ticket Fleming, because mills, I think has already picked pitch for the Royals and he looked okay. Uh, a sidewinding righty. but, You know, I'm not like as, as gung ho that this was the right decision as possible. And I don't want to reinforce the Royals notion that waiting is always the best option. Don't reinforce the goodness of their conservatism
0: because it's not good. Yeah. And so essentially what you're saying is, did we get something back that was worth Pasquantino staying in the minors for an extra two months? Yes. Um, Would it have been better to just DFA Santana two months ago and bring Pasquantino up? I don't know if that you you can't say whether that's you can't. Yeah, it's impossible and, to and say, and we won't and we won't know until like you know we get the final
1: numbers on Mills and you know Fleming. If Fleming yeah. never makes it to the majors and Mills is only ever worth half half a war for his whole career or something like that, we won't really know. Or for the Royals, we won't really know. You know until we see ultimately what these guys do. But you know, yeah. it just,
0: I, I, yeah. The real thing is this: they could have held on to Santana longer. Okay. Yeah realize that they could have held on to him for another month and then DFA'd him, you know, and yeah. he got nothing. I, just, I,
1: like, I don't want to set the bar that low for them. Yeah, there so it's many pretty people low. Like, oh, I'm they to up here. They, they, had, they made it. Th- they made the right decision. They knew all along. It's like, no, this is still not the best outcome. This is still the like eighth or ninth best outcome for this. They should have traded him halfway between last season, like in the in the before the trade deadline last year, is when they should have gotten rid of him, but. The fact yeah. that they waited and waited and waited means they get this return instead. And it's like ben, better that's than nothing. The scary thing. But our bar is so low. People were celebrating that it was better than nothing. That's how low our bar yeah. is.
0: The scary thing is Whit Merrifield's in pretty much the same situation right oh, now. Oh, yeah, for sure. And we'll see if they do the exact same thing because it's really, that's what they've done. They have been unwilling to trade guys who have more than a year of, uh, still left on their deal. Mm-hmm. And it costs them every single time because it's like, Who's going to pay for half a year of something? Yeah. good. They're yeah. not like, it just yeah. doesn't happen anymore. You used to be able to do it. You had a veteran slugger. You could send them, sell them off for a half a year or a starter who was aces. You could sell them off for a half a year, get a big return. It doesn't happen anymore.
1: No prospects are valued too highly. Now you can't do yeah. that anymore. And so, yeah, uh, they're losing value all the time because of it. Um, they've already lost the value on what Maryfield. that's already gone. And so hopefully they end up getting something for him. But when they do, I don't want to hear from the fan base. Yay, they, they did great. They won. Yay. No, no, they lost. They have already lost on Whitmerryfield. That is lost. OK, They the, yes, great that they salvaged something if they get something, but they have already lost that deal. OK, doesn't matter what they get now. They've already lost it. Let's talk about some trades that they may ultimately end up making. Santana's gone. The obvious candidates now to be traded are Benintendi, Merrifield, and maybe Michael A. Taylor. Some people might talk about Brad Keller, too. I don't know. I don't think they'll ever do that. And they're really weak in pitching right now. So they really can't afford to be giving up any starter who is even marginally effective for them. Um, Benintendi has been linked to the Blue Jays. We've heard reports that they're interested in him. We've spoken in the past about what we'd like to get in return for some of those guys. So if you want to go check out those episodes, Mike, I want to ask you broadly speaking, what do you want to see the
0: team look like by the end of this trade deadline? So by the end of the trade deadline, Merrifield should for sure be gone. Ben Intendi should for sure be gone. I'm I'm of the feeling that Michael A. Taylor should be gone as well. I know he's played a lot better, but he's done after next year or yeah, done after next year, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's 31, 32. I 31. just don't think he's gonna he's gonna yeah. So he's I just don't think he's gonna be on the next good Royals team. And if you can get something valuable for him, I think you get rid of him. But mostly the big thing for me is I want to see Kyle Isbell, Edward Olivares, Nick Prado getting substantial at-bats by the end of this trade deadline. By the end of the trade deadline, they should all be in Major League Baseball, and they should be getting consistent at-bats. You know, If it's platooning Isbell and Olivares, I'm okay with that. But we need to know. We need to start learning about some of these younger guys Once we've gotten rid of, of those, those other guys, I don't want to see him hang on to wit because what they'll say, they'll come out and go, Oh, we got the opportunity to trade him at the end of the year. Hopefully he gets his value up. And like we just talked about, it's not going to happen because it's more valuable to have him for a longer period of time. Um, So, yeah. Or they'll give you some sort of narrative. That's like,
1: we got all these young players. We need a real veteran clubhouse to lead them and, Teach them, teach them how to put their socks on and all that sort of stuff. It's really important stuff, you know, like talent, leadership, that teach them how to be gritty, you know, that, that sort of thing. Yeah. That's ridiculous, but we'll see.
0: So I got to see those guys getting consistent at bats by the end of this, but one other thing, and this is not major league necessarily, it's what do we see in the minors at the end of this trade deadline? And really the draft is important too, but it'll mostly be from the trade deadline We need to see some of the organizational depth be filled a little bit. And I'm talking about center field and third base for the most part. We are really lacking in those areas. And so I'd like to see some of the prospects that we get back in some of those trades fill some of those spots or starting pitching. I'd take that as well.
1: Yeah, the starting pitching is actually the thing that is most concerning to me. I, I know that a lot of people are talking about third base. Some people are talking about center field. I'm very comfortable with Isbell in center field. If you look at his defensive metrics right now, he's actually ahead of Michael A. Taylor and outs above average, and he's getting one. He's in the one hundredth percentile in jumps in center field, and so I'm happy with Isbell in center field. I'm much more concerned about the pitching. I think third base can be solved eventually in some way. Massey, or they get somebody in a trade. Lofton can play third. Lofton maybe can play third. Uh, somebody either in-house or via a trade to get a prospect in here could fill third base. Even Emmanuel Rivera could do the job. You know, if we have a really good lineup around him, he could do the job. The thing that I'm concerned about is the pitching. That is the only thing that really concerns me at this point moving forward. I want the team to target some rotation pieces at this trade deadline to make sure that it's, a mortal, it's sort of like a solve the rotation issue with pitcher overkill. Bring in as many pitch starting pitching prospects as you can find and get high value ones. I'm, I'm comfortable packaging, you know, Michael A. Taylor and a, and, a, and Scott Barlow, think of the return you could get for Michael A. Taylor and Scott Barlow. That's your most valuable position player prospect or position player on the trade market, along with your most valuable bullpen piece. Package them and see if you can get a legit starting pitching prospect. Just do something to get some starting pitching prospects, because I want to sort of solve this problem with quantity, knowing that their pitching development is so bad, we're not going to be able to solve it with quality. We're not going to be able to like you can't get high-end pitching prospects in the at the trade deadline anyway, and so find a way to do it with multiple pitching prospects or something, because right now they have a problem in the rotation in the next few years. Solving that problem will make them a much more competitive team, and that's where I think they need to f- spend their time and money and, and draft capital and trade capital focusing on, honestly. Not necessarily draft capital, but definitely their trade capital needs to be focused on pitching to some degree. So the trade deadline is fast approaching. The draft is coming up in two weeks. It's it's a it's a month of interesting stuff for the Royals in terms of team building. How important do you feel like the next month is for their future? The draft, I think, is the 17th. The trade, de- trade deadline is in early August. How important is the next month to their future, to their front office and their performance, to shaping this team for the next four or five years as they
0: try and open a competitive window? I think the draft is more important than the trade deadline in that sense. And for the same reasons that you and I just talked about. We they, they have some serious depth at center field, third base, and starting pitching in the minors. And so that's what they have. You mean to lack of depth? That's what I meant. They have a depth, lack of itch, depth? Yeah. Depth issues, I mean. Oh, okay. Um, and so, like, you know, um that's – I think the draft is going to be very important for that. Now, I still – and this is more about what what is available in the draft. I still think with that first pick, they need to go college hitter. But – that doesn't mean that you can't take some guys in the draft. There's not a lot. This kind of sets up poorly for the Royals because this is a really bad class for college pitching. And really so bad. guys that are advanced enough to get through and really get to the majors quickly aren't aren't coming out in the draft this year. But find some guys that you feel like can be quality arms in your system and then or, or be smart about it. Take the best guy, guys that are close to be, you know, can take those college hitters and then down the road, you've trade them off for pitching once they've shown that they can hit at the major league level, you know, that's, that's an option as well. So I think, I think either way, as we move forward in the next two or three years, if the Royals have a competitive team, you'll see them going out and having to spend or trade for starting pitching. I think that's the point that we've reached at this point. That's
1: the approach that I'm really interested in seeing. So here's a radical idea for the trade deadline. I think they should be both buyers and sellers at the trade deadline and maybe they won't be buyers at the trade deadline maybe they wait till the offseason but the big point is they need to be more transactional leverage their good hitting development to get some pitching prospects that are going to be useful Like to get some or even some major league pitching you know why can't you go trade for a guy like john means in baltimore you know why can't you go trade for somebody who is a I think means is down well, for the
0: year i'm not mistaken yeah
1: but a guy like that a guy who yeah. is on a bad team but is a useful productive, reliable starting pitcher at the major league level, go trade for him because you have hitting prospects that are valuable. You know, this is going to sound crazy, but why not trade Nick Prado? Why not trade, you know, Tyler Gentry? Why not trade Tucker Bradley? Why not trade, you know, some of these guys at the lower levels who look like they're going to be good hitters for you. You have the opportunity to trade them and get some pitching prospects in here. They're going to draft a guy, probably a college hitter, hopefully a college hitter at nine and maybe in a year they trade him for somebody more valuable or for somebody major league ready pitching. They I think I think their pitching problems probably get solved either signing guys in free agency or trading for guys who are already pitchers because we know it's not going to get solved from them developing guys or we're pretty confident. They've been very bad at that.
0: Let's be honest, when they were really good in 14 and 15, it was on the back of pitchers that they got from other places. Yes, either signed was. in free agency or traded for. It was not on the back of Guys they developed. No. You know, if you think we got uh, oh we got Shields in a trade with Tampa. We got Volquez in free agency. We got Cueto in a, in a trade. Like, the only guy that really we got, contributed. We got Chris
1: Young. We got Jeremy Guthrie. We signed both yeah, of them. The like, only
0: guy that really contributed, there are two guys, maybe Danny Duffy and Jordano Ventura. Like, those were guys that really contributed the, to the starting rotation that were developed by the Royals. And so, yeah, I don't... Uh, I don't I think we've come to a point now where we can pretty firmly say they're gonna to have to do some things via trade and free agency if they're gonna be competitive in twenty four, twenty-five, twenty-six. The Royals start this week in
1: Houston for a four game set, I promise. For those of you I, I apologize for lying to you last week and saying that the Royals are playing Houston. I'm I just <laughs> I huff a lot of pain. And so, you know, I need I need to stop. But I promise this week they're starting the series in Houston to start the week before coming back home for a three-game series against the Cleveland Guardians. Mike, tell us about this Houston team for the second time in two weeks.
0: Uh, well, this Houston team is pretty good still. We talked about how good they were last week. They're 51-27, and 27 and they lead the AL West by 13.5 games. That's really good. Um, and unlike us, they have developed a lot of their own guys. Maybe yeah, not yeah. all of their pitching. But their uh, well, position guys are. They find much a way right. to get
1: guys from wherever and turn them into good pitchers. Look at Jake Odorizzi, who you're going to talk about here in a second.
0: Yeah, he, John Heasley versus Jake Odorizzi, the 32 year old right hander originally drafted by us. He was part of that James Shields trade, and uh, 3.13 ERA, 1.17 WHIP. He's had a good career already. Real steady guy. Not not a great, not one great pitch on Jake Odorizzi, Um, but he's got four solid pitches. Uh, throws 58% fastballs, but he throws low to mid-90s on his fastball. Um, in the second game, we should see Greinke versus Luis Garcia, who's had a really good year, a 25-year-old righty of the 3.54 ERA. He's a mid-90s fastball guy with a cutter, changeup, and a slider. Uh, they're hitting his fastball pretty well at 287, so hopefully the Royals are able to. I don't know that the Royals are what I would call a great fastball hitting team, but we'll see if they can uh, handle Luis Garcia then we got uh, Brad Keller. This is a four gamer. So we'll have Brad Keller versus Christian Javier, 25 year old right hand. He's having a phenomenal year. Yeah. 2.58 ERA. He's got a whip under one. So he's let, you know, that's walks and hit plus hits per innings pitch. He's letting less than one guy uh, really on base per inning, which is really good. He's got a fastball in the mid 90s, slider, curveball, changeup. Throws his fastball a lot, and opponents don't hit it very much. Got a 151 batting average against on his fastball, and that last game will pit two guys against each other that are real different. You got uh, Chris Bubich is going to go up against future Hall of Famer Justin Verlander, 39 year old righty out of Old Dominion. I did not realize he went to Old yeah, Dominion. I just Vinny Pascutino's you know, an Old Dominion guy, right? I hope Vinny hits a home run off him. Me too. I hope Vinny and then and starts, then whatever and then starts singing the old
1: dominion fight song running around the base. I don't Yeah.
0: I don't know what their mascot is, but he I don't needs either. To, like I do the mascot like, dance.
1: I think they're like the, uh, I don't know here. Keep reading. The is old dominion in
0: Virginia? Yes, it is. It is. Uh, okay. I couldn't remember. That's yeah, anyway, I'm going go to look up out. their mascot. I'm looking it me. up right now. I'm looking it up uh, right so now. Those are two very different pictures. As you guys probably know, Justin Verlander's generational talent. He's got a 2.03 ERA. He also has a whip under one. Still throwing in the mid 90s with his fastball, slider, curveball change, doesn't throw his change very often. Um, they're not opponents aren't hitting over 200 on any of his pitches. How this guy has been this good for this long is baffling. Came up with the Tigers, he used to kick the living crap out of the Royals when he was in the AL Central all the time. He is such a great pitcher. Let's hope Bubic can get through some innings. That's all we just want you to get through some innings. Luckily, he doesn't have to, you know, Verlander won't be pitching against him. So like, right. You know, he's, he's just going to have to face guys face like Jose Alta, the, Alta,
1: Alta, Altuve and uh, what Jordan, Jordan Alvarez and Alex Bregman and those guys. <laughs> and that's Payne, all he's got to yeah. do. Yeah, that's all he's got to do. So, you know, uh, you might be hurt right now. He was hurt there for a second. I think he so. hit a walk off uh, today
0: or yesterday. I can't remember.
1: OK, maybe he came back. He was yeah. on like the 10 or 15 day IL there
0: for a while. But yeah,
1: he's uh, it's going to be a real, real tough series in Houston. Uh, Old Dominion, by
0: the way, is the Monarchs. The monarch's Interesting, so put, right, that right. On, put, that put that crown, crown on, on Vinny Pascantino. Put that crown on Vinny Pascantino. You take Vinny.
1: Verlander Yard and you shove it right in his face. <laughs> you shove it right
0: in his and face then, his and then when the old timers game an old Dominion happens and it's just you and him. Because I don't know anybody else. went home,
1: As anybody else. Uh, yeah. I'm
0: sure some other guys went there. The alumni um, game. Yeah, you can really you, it, you can really, you got a story to tell. You can
1: really, you got bragging rights. Um, right. After they face Houston, they're going to come home for a start a home stand with the Cleveland guardians who are 40 and 36, which puts them second in the AL central 40 and 36 is good enough for second in this division. they are two games back of the Minnesota twins. We don't have probables for this game. Offensively, the guardians have been, I think better than, than people expected a little bit. they're getting, what I would call like mediocre performances from most of their lineup and then a phenomenal, incredible performance this year offensively from Jose Ramirez. So one guy is destroying and the rest of the guys are doing good enough, you know, like so they're getting pretty good years out of Josh Naylor and and Stephen Kwan has been pretty good for them. Ahmed Rosario has been pretty good for them. I like Ahmed
0: Rosario a lot.
1: Uh, yeah, he's just a solid ball player. multiple uh, positions. Yeah, he's a good guy. And has an OPS plus over 100. What else can you ask for? Ramirez, though, Naylor scares the shit out of me. Ramirez so. <laughs> should should be the one that scares the shit out of everybody. Because Ramirez oh, is phenomenal unreal. this year. He's got a 173 OPS plus right now. And they locked him down on a long-term contract. Smart from Cleveland. And they got a pretty good farm system right now. That team is kind of working it as a small market team. Knows how to produce and stay competitive, I think. Uh, their pitching staff has also rebounded this year. They were pretty weak a little bit last year, kind of hurt, uh, on, in the rotation, especially, but they've, they've gotten back to a pretty solid starting pitching from them, including from Shane Bieber, who, uh, his velocity has dipped quite a bit this year, but he still remains pretty solid in his overall numbers. He's got a 3.16 ERA and a 2.84 whip. Like I said, we don't have problems. So don't know if we're going to face Bieber or not, but, uh, we'll see what the rest of that uh, team looks like. If, if we don't get a chance to see him here back in Kansas city.
0: One one correction there. 2.84 FIP, not whip. Sorry, what did I say? And then Sorry. Sh- you said yes, whip. 2.84 FIP. That would be a terrible whip. You don't want That'd that. That would be a terrible whip. Um, <laughs> it's a great fielding
1: independent pitching. It would be a terrible <laughs> walks
0: plus hits for getting uh, pitched. But uh, Bieber, just the breaking ball on that guy is unreal, and he can live on it. He can just throw that thing all the time. So it's good to watch him pitch. I like I like watching him pitch. But, yeah, Josh Naylor, like, there's something wrong with that dude in the think meet. He is, <laughs> he is like uh, ins- Captain Insano. <laughs> Did you see that thing the other day when he hit the walk-off? He was like no. head dudes that were wearing no. helmets. He didn't have his no. helmet on anymore. No. He's head-butting them. Let's get him out again. there. Like you see the ugly guard doing football. You know, like, yeah, I'm a guard. I'm a dirt bag. Wham. That's what Naylor was doing.
1: He's a psycho. Let's, let's get Amir Garrett out there pitching to Josh Naylor. <laughs> there we go. That's what
0: we need. That's what we need. Oh, we need the anger suspension. streak Amir Garrett. They're going to start uh, handing yeah.
1: out uh, suspensions before the game even happens. If, that, if that's going to be the case. We'll end this week's episode like we end every episode with our Just a Bit Outside segment where we talk about something that's interesting to us outside the world of baseball. Mike, you have COVID. You're in the house. You probably got some things you can do. Tell us what's going on in Mike
0: world besides COVID. Well, some people call it grandpa's old cough medicine. Some people, you know, it, it gets you it gets you right when you need a, a little a pep up from having COVID. I would like to talk about my favorite whiskey. So. I'm a whiskey drinker. I like, I like to drink whiskey when I do drink. Um, for those of you who've heard the
1: episodes before and you heard the clinking of ice in a glass, everyone, you, you know I that will, Mike is a whiskey drinker. I will. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if you listen carefully, it ain't ice, it hear. ain't ice water people. It is it not ain't ice water,
0: water. No. Um, and so sometimes I will have a drink, uh, while I'm, uh, recording, but I, a few years ago, this is probably five years ago. Now, a good friend of ours, um, came up and he's a whiskey guy as well. And so he told me about this Irish whiskey that he actually learned about from some famous wrestler. Cause he's friends with a, a guy in the WWE. And so it's like, it's a long story, but he heard about it through that friend he has in the WWE. I guess one of the guys in WWE is Irish. And he was like, Hey, you should drink this whiskey. It's called Teeling Irish whiskey. And it's not crazy expensive. It costs you about what a bottle of Jack Daniels would. It is so damn good though. And when we were sitting here thinking, well, what do you want to do for your just a bit outside this week? All I was thinking was, you know, I'm kind of sick. I'm, I kind of would like a drink right now of some grandpa's grandpa's old cough medicine. And uh, what would I like? I would love some teeling right now. Unfortunately, I don't have any in the house. And I have no way of leaving the house because, you know, I'm, I have COVID. And so I, I won't get any teeling today. But, gosh, I highly recommend if you're a person who likes a good Irish whiskey, teeling is, is not crazy expensive but crazy good. So give it
1: a shot. I really can't speak to the goodness of tealing Irish whiskey or any whiskey. Uh, I, I don't drink. Mike Mike does. That's kind of the basic biggest I, difference. I do the drinking for the both I. of us. Yeah, he so. does. He does the drinking for the both of us. Uh, I do the driving for the both of us when when is, when is necessary. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> less cool, I guess. Uh, but I do love yeah. <laughs> drinking culture. And uh, I find it cool that there are these like, you know, you know whiskeys people don't know or you know there's like i just i just find the whole thing very cool i understand why people do it you know like it's a it's a it's a cool thing to go through the liquor store and like ooh that's a cool bottle Ooh that one looks nice i don't know yeah. the difference between any of them
0: <laughs> well the the better what i find whiskey wise, the better look in the bottle a lot of times the worse it tastes yeah so. <laughs> uh, oh this one's really get expensive <laughs> it's garbage yeah, it's, it yeah like and the price doesn't always mean uh quality sometimes you know you'll find some that are expensive that, that are really, really good, but um, I'm not – price means nothing to me. I drink Evan Williams regularly. It's not expensive at all, um, but yeah. Get you some tealings, people, or teeling. I, I don't have any, but I'm going to go probably have an Evan Williams, see if I can clear up this stuff in my head. Well, I'm talking about something a little
1: different, and that's a con artist or a con man. Actually, it's a book I'm reading. It's called The King of Confidence, and it is a wild story about this dude named James Strang. James Strang, if you don't know who he is, led basically, well, not basically, he led a cult in Michigan in the mid-19th century, so just before the Civil War started, about 10, 15 years before the Civil War started. He was became like a Mormon at one point, just like a, a real shady, shifty dude. Who became a Mormon when they were living in Wisconsin? I think like Joseph Smith was living in Wisconsin or something like that. I'm trying oh, to follow the story. Yes, that's what Illinois, Nauvoo, Illinois. Yep, and he met or maybe met Joseph. That's where James Smith died.
0: By the way, Joseph Smith. Yeah,
1: when he died, Strang took the opportunity to start like a splinter cell where he then made himself like a king, basically, <laughs> right? And he sort of d- declared himself a prophet and like forged these like uh, tablets that he found. And it was a, it's a very wild story about how, I'm only halfway through it right now, but it's like enthralling, this book is. It's like reading about all these weird characters from the mid-19th century who, you know, people believed a bunch in. The thing I find most interesting about it is the way that the book talks about how people were ready to believe in something unusual at this time, like paranormal things or, or, you know, a a, a prophet coming or because, because times were so tumultuous back then, because there was this, you know, lingering notion of will there be a civil war? And there's all this, you know, turmoil in the country. Anytime things are like that, society, people in society are more ready to believe that it's the end times or that, you know, follow people who are, you know, confident, honestly, who just seem like they have answers. People are more willing to follow them in times when, there's turmoil and strife. And so it, it made, makes me think a lot about our times now. There's a ton of turmoil in the U.S. right now and in the world, really. But it makes me not so surprised that there are people out there sort of peddling garbage and, and just these ridiculous narratives who are being followed by large amounts of people. And this is a guy in James Strang who we've never heard of. I never heard of him. And now I start reading this book, and I realize he controlled like a quarter of the state of Michigan back in this time right like so <laughs> was led by this dude who thought he was like really maybe didn't even think he was but it convinced a bunch of people that he was a prophet and a sort of king a god king on earth and all this sort of stuff and it's just a very interesting story I love I love stories about cults and things like that It's very interesting to me and so yeah if you ever get a chance the book's called the king of confidence it's a real page turner honestly for a for like a, a nonfiction book and uh, I really enjoy it if you want to if you're interested in learning things about that about things like that give it a shot that sounds like a book I would
0: read. You recommend books to me all the time that are like, I I would never read that. You recommend these fantasy books to me and stuff I don't ever read. This is actually one I would actually read. (laughs) So you didn't ever tell me about this, but okay. Okay. It's an interesting book. And, you know, it kind of reads like a fantasy
1: book sometimes when you hear people talking about like, you know, I found these magical tablets or I, you know, I did this, you know, God spoke to me yesterday, you know, like it's a very sort of a fantastical thing in in places, but uh, I really like it because I like understanding the psychology of people who can uh, convince people of certain things that are very obviously not true and then use that power to do bad things that, that interests me in a great way. Maybe, maybe, maybe that should scare everybody. I don't know. I don't know. I do have a platform here, so who knows, you know, but that's enough talking (laughs) about the things that interest us outside of baseball. Hopefully the Royals can grab some wins this week. It's going to be a tough series against Houston, another tough one against Cleveland, Hope to see you back here. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, our new Instagram. Subscribe to us on YouTube. We're building out more content. We're doing lots of fun things. And we'll see you here again next week and every week. But until then, be good to each other. And go Royals.